If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. Welcome to the History Extra podcast. Fascinating historical conversations from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. In March 2003, a coalition of troops from nations including the United States and the United Kingdom mounted an invasion of the Republic of Iraq with the stated aim of removing weapons of mass destruction apparently held by the nation. The decision came against a backdrop of the 9-11 attacks and a series of terrorist incidents across the world. Now, 20 years on, BBC security correspondent Gordon Carrera, who reported on the conflict at the time, has been looking at the events again for a new BBC Radio 4 series, Shock and War, Iraq 20 Years On. Gordon spoke to Matt Elton about the series and whether now is the right time to view the conflict as history. Gordon, we're talking today about shock and war, Iraq 20 years on, which obviously marks two decades since that conflict. Could you just talk us through what the scope and the focus of the new series is? Well, it is amazing to think it is 20 years since the Iraq war, and I can certainly remember it very vividly as a younger reporter then, covering it, the build-up, the war itself being in Iraq just before the shock and awe campaign, as it was called, began in March 2003. The scope of the series is really to understand why the US and UK went to war and what the legacy has been. That's a pretty broad range of subjects. It follows my own kind of personal obsession almost with this, having uh, reported on it at the time and having been a BBC security correspondent covering some of the aspects of the legacy, whether it's in the fields of terrorism and security or or some of the uh, issues around intervention as well as what happened within Iraq itself. So it's it's quite broad, it's quite ambitious, can never tell everything in a series like this or give the definitive truth. But I do think that for the first time after 20 years, with that kind of lens, you can look at that conflict in a different way. There's the ability to to stand back slightly 
from some of the very heated political debates we had in the immediate aftermath and try and understand and look again and get people to reflect on and explain why things happened, why the war happened, but also why did things go so badly wrong afterwards in Iraq? Do you think it's therefore now possible to view the Iraq war as a historical event? Are we far enough removed to be able to do that? I think it's a good question because, uh, you know, there is a debate, which is, you know, when does something become history? When can you start looking at it it, with a historical eye? Can you do it within five years, 10 years, 20 years? When does it stop being news and current affairs? And I think it is hard because the impacts of Iraq are still rippling out. Some of the issues are still unresolved, uh, including within Iraq itself and some of the kind of legacies for how that country is run. So it, it would be wrong to say that you can treat it purely as history. But I do think a historical eye on it gives you something that we've not been able to do before, which is ask people to reflect, to look back, to analyse it, to be able to see it in a historical context. You know, how significant was 9-11? But also events have happened since, which give you a different perspective on it, whether in, you know, the region, the Middle East itself, or even the kind of comparison with Russia and Ukraine in terms of seeing state on state conflict coming back after years of terrorism. So, we're always reinterpreting historical events. And I think Iraq will be no different in that sense. But I do think for the first time, we can try at least and give it a historical take as well as looking at the current ramifications. You mentioned that this is something that's long been a fascination for you. What were your experiences of the conflict at the time? My experiences at the time where I was a reporter and producer at the Today programme on Radio 4 at the time started there in 2001. So vividly remember 9-11 and going over to the US within days of 9-11 and actually within weeks of 9-11 hearing the first talk and reporting for the BBC about the fact people were talking about attacking Iraq. And it actually seemed extraordinary at the time and it kind of seemed way out there. But then watching in the months that followed you know, firsthand often, some of the developments that drove the US and UK towards war, being able to go to Iraq itself a couple of times in in 2003 as well to see the country talking to kind of defectors, spies. And so that left me with a lot of questions. And so part of the idea of this series is me going back and trying to answer some of the questions. I'm trying to understand why was this decision taken? Why was this said about weapons of mass destruction? Why did Tony Blair make this commitment to try and kind of unpick some of those questions, which I think remain? And the advantage is I've got the chance now to ask some of the people directly involved, you know, who I'd watched making those decisions at the time, some of whom were at the heart of it and are well-known figures in, in London and Washington. Sometimes, you know, I get to speak to people who I'd not heard of at the time, but who were on the ground often doing things, and also talk to some of the people in Iraq who'd, who were basically experiencing things at the, the sharp end. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. 
you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. How do people in Iraq now view the war and how was it viewed at the time? There's no simple answer to that. I think you will get different views from different people. And we've spoken to a lot of Iraqis and especially we tried to talk to young Iraqis about their views of the conflict. Certainly there are some who are happy that Saddam is gone, but there are very few who are happy with what came afterwards. And many, I think some of the most powerful voices are those who feel that even if Saddam had been a tyrant, they were promised something which was never delivered after 2003, a more kind of open and democratic Iraq, which is certainly only partially there. And in many cases, people, uh, many people suffered greatly. I mean, the death toll from the, I mean, the terrible violence. I mean, it's, again, this is something which, you know, going back on the series and looking at just reminding you just how terrible some of the the kind of spasms of violence were after 2003 is really quite shocking and uh, many lost their lives and paid a terrible price in in that period so I think it's very hard and I think it's important to say there isn't always one single experience I think there are a, a variety of experiences of people who've had to live through that. Talking about your own experiences did this feel like a key moment at the time did it feel like it was something that was going to have a seismic effect? It is interesting looking back for me now, 20 years. I mean, you knew with 9-11 that that was, you know, that the world changed on that day. And then there was this, the next year and a half was leading up to the Iraq war was just relentless. I mean, and it was interesting looking back at some of the archive of the time. You just realised how fast events were moving in that period, whether it was more terrorist attacks, fears of more terrorist attacks, you know, whether it was in Bali, Indonesia or or attempts to bring down planes with shoe bombs. So there was this kind of very strange era then of fear and terror. And Iraq was really part of that. And this drive, what felt like a quite a relentless drive towards conflict. And I think it is extraordinary looking back now at how that drive took place and what was behind it and to try and understand what led to it because I think at the time you realized something enormous was happening but actually it's quite hard when you're a reporter I think to step back because it's it's events of every day there was something happening and there was there were these news stories and so you don't always step back and go hang on what is going on and what are the consequences and 
what about what are what might be the alternative paths because of the intensity really at that period so it is interesting now being able to reflect on that and think about it in a slightly different way do you think that relentless pace of events was a factor in some of the decision making that was made and perhaps arguably some of the mistakes that might have been made absolutely i mean i think you can see if you talk to british officials at the very top including Prime Minister Tony Blair at the time, who we've spoken to, you can sense that there was so much focus on the day-to-day, on the next decision, on getting this to the United Nations, then getting a second resolution at the United Nations. The amount of thought that was going into what would happen after the war, what were the plausible scenarios? I mean, clearly self-evident that that was not done properly and not thought through. And, you know, there were a lot of reasons for that, some to do with what was going on in Washington uh, and a lot of the kind of internal politics in Washington. But it is certainly the case that there was just, I mean, you know, it is astonishing now to think the war plans were all about removing Saddam, not really about what would come afterwards. And and I think that is one of the greatest failures uh, that, that took place. Are there any other key factors for why things didn't go to plan, at least in the short term? I think there were lots of decisions made. I think there was a a lack of planning. I think there was dysfunction in Washington. I think also, you know, there was the politics of it played an an element. So I think I think there were, you know, many factors which which led to that failure. Uh, You know, also the influence of some Iraqi exiles, debates about what to do with them, what kind of government should take place in Iraq afterwards, different ideologies behind it. It is fascinating now to understand just how little preparation went into it. I mean, we spoke to people who were, you know, basically plonked down in Iraq, Britons who were told, you know, you're running this province. They had no experience of of running, you know, anything, let alone the kind of province of a a country which had just been invaded and was effectively occupied. So there there are elements like that, which, which now seem extraordinary, really extraordinary, some of the things that happened. And I think that's, again, what a kind of historical eye on it allows you to kind of step back and go, how did that happen? And why did that happen? And could it have been different? Viewed through that historical eye, how do you think this conflict compares to other 20th century wars? Well, it's hard to say how it would compare. I mean, the war itself in Iraq was actually relatively quick. I mean, it you know took a matter of weeks for the US to depose Saddam Hussein. That's one of the extraordinary things. It was what happened afterwards. It was also the justification for the war falling apart, the weapons of mass destruction. These were the issues, actually, rather than the war itself. The ideologies and the politics that drove the war also explain why things went wrong afterwards. So it's interesting. It's quite hard to compare it to other wars. I mean, I do think an interesting reference point is for the UK is Suez. You know, a lot of people would say in terms of failures, the comparison point might well be, you know, the Suez crisis in 56, which did great damage to to Britain's standing and reputation, also changed its relationship with America at that time. And I think Iraq also had those kind of historical consequences for the UK in particular, as well as the US, in terms of how it was seen in the world, how willing it would be in the future to intervene in crises. I think it also had an impact on trust in politicians and in public life in the UK. So you can see some of those ripple effects and then spreading to how far the UK was willing to intervene in future conflicts, including in um, Syria and Libya and elsewhere. And what do you think, as someone who's reported on the war and sort of followed its afterlife over the past 20 years, what do you think are the key things that people misunderstand about, about the Iraq war? Well, I think some of the things we try and address in the programme is is some of the big questions, which is why did the US go to war? 
why did the UK follow the US? I think we try and hit those issues head on. The idea, for instance, it was simply about weapons of mass destruction, I don't think is true. But it's also true that the intelligence was wrong. And we try and unpick why it was wrong. Is it so simple as people deliberately misleading or was there something else going on? And and, and, and why was the intelligence believed? I think there are some some questions there which uh, are still not always understood. And so to try and, you know, I think that's one of the areas where I feel we do focus in on and, and I hope reveal some new details, particularly about you know, Tony Blair's decision making in joining with the US, but also uh, what was really going on with those missing weapons of mass destruction and why, frankly, the intelligence was wrong in a truly historic intelligence failure. What challenges have you experienced being a BBC reporter and following this story at all? Well, I think, I mean, for me, some of the advantages, really, I I would feel are that as a BBC reporter, people know the BBC and its reputation and for impartiality means people, I hope, are willing to speak because they know they will get a fair hearing on what is a very controversial issue. But it is a controversial issue. And there have definitely been one or two people who I've approached at times and I walked up to them and said, I'm doing something about Iraq for the 20th anniversary. And these are people who are directly involved in decisions at the time. And you can see their faces fall and because they just think that was such a difficult chapter. I do not want to talk about it. So I think there is a process as a, you know, making a series like this of trying to persuade people that actually it is in their interest to talk about this. And that is, you know, that can be a challenge because you do have to persuade people. You will ask the tough questions, but you will also get a fair hearing if you're willing to speak. And I think, you know, because of the kind of controversy, because so much did go wrong in many areas, I think, you know, some people are still reluctant to talk about it. And certainly some of the key players simply, some will not talk, others will. Finally, are there any interviews or findings that particularly surprised you during the course of making the series? Yeah, I managed to speak to some people who'd been on the inside of the intelligence world. And I think hearing from them about what was really going on in the intelligence community is really interesting. I mean, that's an area I kind of focus on and report on a lot. And I was able to kind of get to some people who I think who could give a really fresh perspective on that. Also talking, you know, about to some of the weapons inspectors who are on the ground in Iraq, looking for the weapons, about what that was really like. Again, not able to do that at the time, but able to do it now. And just to talk to some of the Iraqis themselves. And I think the powerful human stories, particularly from young Iraqis, about what they saw in 2003, but also what they experienced afterwards. I think that that was really powerful to me. Gordon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. That was Gordon Carrera. His programme, Shock and War, Iraq 20 Years On, will be broadcast from the 13th of March on BBC Radio 4. Thanks for listening to the History Extra podcast. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer Arden. A collision between a Chinese jet and an American spy plane. He came and rammed into our left wing. With relations increasingly strained, what are the chances of things spinning out of control? The Western world was asleep. I'm Gordon Carrera. I'll be exploring the friction in this most important of relationships and asking, has the West taken its eye off the ball? You cannot ignore China. From BBC Radio 4, this is Shadow War, China and the West. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.